before we turn to uh, the book of Revelation to read the first eight verses of chapter 21. We'll turn to Isaiah's prophecy where uh, we're reading a couple of shorter texts that are uh, related to our text here in Revelation 21. First, uh, chapter 42, Isaiah 42, verse 9, and then uh, chapter 48, 18, and 19. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Uh, It's actually Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19 that we're reading. Do not call the former th- to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness. Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, nor will uh, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed. And behold, he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. And let's pray. For God's help in both the preaching and the hearing of his word. Our God, we turn to you 
and the word that you have revealed through these visions to John, we once again come as needy souls. We need uh, the things that you hold out to your believing people in in uh, this section of your holy word. Uh, we need, uh, we come thirsty, and we need to have our thirst quenched, and uh, we come, O oh Lord, looking to these promises that you give to your people concerning the things to come, eternal things, and uh, we look to you, the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we ask now uh, that you would come alongside of us. Uh, we especially pray, O oh Spirit, that you would come alongside of us and uh, reveal to us, show us what you have for your people in this beautiful passage of the Holy Scriptures. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Revelation chapter 21, we turn a corner. It's not as though what we've considered in the first 20 chapters of Revelation are all doom and gloom. Of course, we have glimpses, even from the very first chapter of Revelation, we have a glimpse of the glory of the exalted Savior in that vision of Jesus given to John. And we have the, uh, the messages to uh, the seven churches that contain promises to God's people, uh, not only in that day, not, not only in real churches that existed at that time that received these words from John, these letters that John was to send to the seven churches of Asia, but also that remind us of the promises that God gives to overcomers, to his people of all ages. And then, of course, we have glimpses of God's throne throughout the book of Revelation. We have glimpses of, of the, the glorious and exalted God and the glorious and exalted Lamb of God on, on the throne. But then come those sections of Revelation that, uh, in which the vision to John preaches judgment. Uh, judgment to first, upon first century Israel, apostate Israel. Uh, judgment upon uh, Satan. Judgment upon the false prophet, apostate Israel, judgment upon the dead. And then we come in chapter 21 to the fresh garden of God, the garden of Eden, recreated, uh, the reversal of the fall. In those first four verses, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ renewed, the church of Jesus Christ renewed. Last week we noted that the word new in verses 1 and 2 
ended verse 5 as well in our text, indicates a qualitative newness rather than something previously uh, in existence. And so Revelation uh, 21, uh, as it speaks of uh, the newness, and verse 2 as well, as it speaks of the new Jerusalem, uh, shouldn't be understood, uh, should be understood rather as a, as a prophecy of the transformation uh, of the creation instead of an outright new uh, creation. God isn't going to annihilate heaven and earth and then create them anew out of nothing as he did in the beginning. Uh, to use an analogy, God isn't going to demolish the old house of creation and build a completely new one. He's going to completely rebuild, transform, renovate, and restore the existing house of creation, and all things will be made new. In verses 5 through 8, uh, here in, in chapter 21, the vision to John proceeds to underscore the certainty of the new creation and the, the promises extended to the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the church. Verses 1 to 4 were shown that in the new creation, God's people will be perfected and free from all threats and all harm because God's consummated, glorious presence will reside with them forever. In verses 5 through 8, we're shown that the new creation is a certain reality where overcomers will receive all of God's promised blessing, but those overcome by sin will be excluded from those blessings. Consider verses 5 to 8 under two headings. In the first place, the certain and comprehensive renewal of all things. The certain and comprehensive renewal of all things. And secondly, the promises attached to the renewal of all things. In the first place, then, the certain and comprehensive renewal of all things. God himself, again, speaks from the throne. Verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, we, I mentioned last Lord's Day that this declaration is best understood as coming from the Father and the Lamb, who are so united as to occupy one throne. Revelation 21, uh, rather 22 and verse 1, speaks of a throne, a singular throne, occupied by God and the Lamb. I am making, God says, from the throne. In the present tense, this reinforces, or rather enforces, the certainty of the promised new creation. And all things new declares uh, that it will be comprehensive, as was revealed in verses 1 through 4. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, God's people, the church perfected in consummated glory, God's dwelling among them in the most intimate since, through those passages that we read in Isaiah, the Lord announced his purpose to do new things, to renew his people, Israel. He spoke of saving acts 
in the midst of his people, Israel, that would cause the former things to be forgotten. And now in this vision to John, God declares the certain comprehensive renewal that will result from this promise. These words are faithful and true. As Revelation, the book of Revelation comes to a close in chapter 22, three persons guarantee the reliability of its message. God, the divine author, in chapter 22, verse 6. Jesus, the divine revealer, chapter 22 and verse 16. Who in chapter 3 and verse 14, in the midst of the letters to the seven churches, refers to himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And then thirdly, John, the faithful recorder of all things he saw and heard. Chapter 22 and verse 8. Because God is the God of the spirits of the prophets, as chapter 22 verse 6 says, the third person of the God is at work, moving John to write these faithful and true words throughout the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit then also stands behind this guarantee, which means that all three persons of the Holy Trinity guarantee the reliability of this message. These things are faithful and true. God says from his throne, and he commands John to write these things because of the fidelity of this promise. There's no greater testimony, there's no greater warranty than the one that stands behind this vision to John. God would have us to be certain about this promise of comprehensive renewal, which is the consummation of our redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. In battle churches of the first and 21st centuries, and of all centuries between and beyond, need to realize that God's promise of comprehensive renewal is more certain than all that their eyes can see. Do you believe this? Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We can't see these things. We can't even get our minds around these things. Not fully as they've been revealed. We can understand something of what God has for us in heaven. But these things promised to us are beyond our wildest imaginations. But though we can't see, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we believe in these things as God's people. And we latch on to the certainty of the promise that God gives us concerning these eternal realities.
A seasoned gospel minister confided to me recently that while he was having his morning devotions, he experienced what he believes was a satanic attack at this very point. Satan planted doubts in his mind about whether all of the things that he had held dear for so long first as a Christian in his experience, and then as a gospel minister, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation in Christ, and eternal life with God. Satan attacked him, he believes, concerning the truth of all of these things. Trying to convince him that these things weren't really true. That the gospel that he'd held for so long, his understanding of the gospel, and the, the beauty and the glories of saving grace through Jesus Christ, that heaven itself was a figment of his imagination, and that he should simply forget all these things and spend the rest of his life doing what he wanted to do. to abandon the ministry that he'd been committed to for so many years. The revelation to John provides a refuge when doubts assail us. And no one is exempt from these doubts. Every Christian, no matter what their standing is in the kingdom of God, every Christian, no matter how mature in the faith, can be and is assailed by these doubts. But the book of Revelation says these things are certain. Behold, I am making all things new. Heaven to which all of our, uh, all of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ points us, the, that which the redemptive work of Christ earns for us, heaven, the reality of this eternity revealed to us, is true. It's, and, and the Revelation of John underscores this. By saying, write these things down. These things are faithful and true. A new heaven, a new earth, a renewed people among whom God will eternally dwell. And then there are promises. Secondly, the promises attached to the renewal of all things. God's pronouncement here uh, in verse 6. It is done, echoes uh, the word of uh, that the loud voice had uttered from the throne when the last bowl of wrath was poured out. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 17. And there the word announced the completion of the judgment on first century apostate Israel. 
Here in chapter 21, the pronouncement looks forward to the fulfillment of God's favor to his people in eternity. As these promises uh, we're about to consider, uh, the promises of refreshment to the thirsty and an inheritance to overcomers in verses 6 and 7 of our text show. God repeats his titles, Alpha and Omega, from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, and he interprets them to John as the beginning and the end, since Alpha begins the Greek alphabet and Omega ends it. And he does so to remind John and to remind us of his lordship over all history. and the eternity beyond history in both directions, in the past and in the future. And yet the, represent, uh, the, 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 the repetition of these titles is more than merely a reminder. These words of God on the throne anticipate the self-identification of the groom the divine Son, in chapter 22, verses 12 to 13, Behold, I am coming quickly. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here we get a glimpse of the mystery of the divine Trinity. The Father is the beginning and the end who stands at history's opening as the one who created all things and the consummator who stands at history's close. The Son is the beginning and the end, the creator who stood at history's beginning and the consummator who stood uh, who stands at history's close. All the more reason to conclude that the loud voice from the throne in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, is that of God and the Lamb who sits on the throne. Revelation 21, 2 says, the water of life referred to in 21, 6 comes from the throne of God, singular, and the throne of the Lamb. The Father and the Son are distinct divine persons, yet one God who promises people, his people refreshment and an internal, eternal inheritance. These two promises... This refreshment, this living water, and this inheritance not only highlight different dimensions of the blessing that God bestows on his people, but also view the recipients of God's favor from different angles. Revelation 21, verse 6, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Revelation 21, verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. The first uh, promise views 
believers in Jesus Christ from the standpoint of their need, the thirst of their hearts, only those who are aware of their deep thirst, which God alone can quench by his grace, will taste of the water of life. In chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, John sees the victorious saints secured in heaven from earth's trials. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, for the Lamb will guide them to the springs of the water of life. In the vision of 22.1, John sees the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God itself and of the Lamb. The throne is the spring from which eternal life flows like refreshing water. The Lamb has overcome through His sacrifice on Calvary's cross and He sits on that throne which is the very throne of God's grace. You who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ have already partaken of this water that flows from the Lamb's throne and from the throne of God the Father. And you never knew that you were even thirsty until God's Spirit made you aware of your thirst. You would be, uh, for the rest of your lives, like little children who ignore their thirst so that they can continue playing. Had it not been for the glorious work of the Holy Spirit who came alongside of you and convinced you of your need, convinced you that you were walking around in the desert of life thirsty, and you'd be in that desert for the rest of your life had not God, by His eternal grace, from the foundation of the world, said, My Spirit shall be upon this one. My spirit shall be upon that one. They shall be my people. They will be my sons. I will welcome them into the, uh, the glories of eternity. And I will give them of the water of life. And they will drink from those springs. And they'll be redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. That ought to be enough to make us jump up and Shout our praise as loud as we can at the top of our voices together so that it might resound in heaven. It's a wondrous thing that God has done through Jesus Christ who accomplished our salvation through the Holy Spirit who applied that salvation to each and every one of his children, to each and every soul here today who's been made aware of their thirst and have, has come to the water that flows, uh, the water of life that flows from the throne of God 
and the Lamb. The second promise views its recipients from, from the standpoint of the spiritual conflict in which they're called to contend and overcome. Drawing on this life and refreshment that are God's free gifts to those who believed in Christ, chapter 21, verse 7. Each of the seven letters to the churches of Asia, you remember, conclude with a promise to the one who overcomes. And these promises look ahead to the closing visions of the new heaven, the new earth, new Jerusalem. This promise sums up all of these promises there to overcomers in the seven letters to the seven churches in two related blessings of adoption as God's sons, inheritance and authority. Though Christians may be impoverished, even dispossessed and homeless, all who overcome the dragon, the beast, and the harlot through humble, persevering faith are heirs of everything. And the homestead that they inherit isn't the first heaven and the first earth, sin-stained and curse-infected, but the new heaven and new earth in which every impurity Every pain, every sorrow, even the sorrow of sorrows itself in death has ceased to be. Along with the inheritance, the sons of God receive authority. I will be his God and he will be my son. Again here in verse 7, it blends of the familiar covenant promise I will be your God and you will be my people with the messianic promise made to David in the Davidic covenant. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. In the original context of that promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, as well as in its the elaboration of that promise in Psalm 2, often alluded to here in Revelation, sonship entails participation in God's royal authority over the nations. And we have seen that, have we not, throughout the expo- our exposition of the book of Revelation? Have we not seen that God, through Christ, grants to his people that they will reign with him forever? Uh, and ever, and they will join with him in judging the nations. Revelation reveals to us, uh, though Christians may be as socially impotent as the church at Philadelphia was, they will, they will administer the Father's rule along with the Lamb, uh, their shepherd. Chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. These are glorious promises, are they not, to God's people? These promises are uh, not only a certainty, uh, they are not only a reality that by faith we are called to latch on to, 
but they contain uh, an overwhelming richness of blessing to those who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are, who are in union with him by faith. And they shine all the more brightly when contrasted to the dire consequences of the last judgment for those who have been captivated, overcome by Satan's lies, as the warning of Revelation 21, verse 8, shows. The list of sinners here. And their sins, cowards, unbelievers, the spiritually repulsive, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, may well describe those who under persecution, denied the faith and murderously betrayed their fellow Christians to the persecuting authorities and practiced these things, sexual immorality and uh, the sorcery, the magic that was connected with idolatry. Their inheritance isn't in the pain-free new heaven and new earth. Their part, Revelation 21 verse 8 reiterates, is in the lake of fire, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. This is eternal death. This is eternal punishment in hell. The only people that will live in this new heaven, new earth, who consist of, uh, are, the, are those who consist of the new Jerusalem, uh, the, one who have, the ones who have overcome, the overcomers. You're either an overcomer, verse 7, who will inherit all these things that we've been talking about, or else you are one who is overcome by sin and Satan. Verse 8, and you will have no part in God's new creation. You'll burn in the lake of fire. Some of those listening to this uh, sermon today may be among those who know this to be true. Some of those listening uh, in uh, the recorded form of this audio or uh, who are listening as it's streaming, as this sermon is streaming, may be among those who, who know these things to be true, who will intellectually admit that these things make sense, and yet refuse who are not yet prepared to pay the cost of a life surrendered to Jesus Christ, who know these things well enough to know that Christ says, if anyone comes after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And they know what the life of faith is, and they're not quite willing 
to have their comfortable life in this world disturbed. They want to do as they please. But I say to those, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you continue to live a life of sin and drag your feet, resisting God's will, you will have no place in the new creation. You may not have physically murdered anyone, but Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount that if you hate your brother or are angry with him without cause, God considers you a murderer. Matthew 5, verse 22. You may not have physically committed sexual immorality, but Jesus says again in that Sermon on the Mount If you so much as look at a woman with lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Matthew 5, verse 28. And notice that God puts your unbelief on par with murder, sexual immorality, and idolatry. The question to ask yourself today is this, am I overcome by these things, or have I overcome these things? As long as I'm overcome by these things, I have no place in God's new creation. Revelation makes that very clear. Only he who overcomes will inherit these things. Only these are sons of God who are heirs to eternal life and the glories of heaven. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, how we can overcome, how we can be overcomers. As he goes through this list in the epistle to, uh, the first epistle to the Corinthians, the same, a list similar to the one that we find here in uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, do you not know, Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to what Paul says. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. That's how we overcome. We don't overcome in our own power. We don't overcome in uh, our grit and our strength. We overcome. We are overcomers through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are overcomers through our sanctification. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, Some of you were some of these things. This is a man who is familiar with the sins out of which these uh, uh, Corinthians, uh, these 
believers in the church at Corinth had come. And he says, some of you have committed these very sins, these vile sins that I've, I've just listed out to you, these, uh, this dirty laundry list uh, that I've spoken in your presence. You were overcome by these things, but not anymore. You're no longer overcome. You're overcomers in Jesus Christ. You've been washed and sanctified by the Spirit. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Evil no longer has its uh, grimy, dirty hands around you. It did before, but no longer. By God's power, you've been delivered from the sins that used to dominate your life. The chains that that once bound you to sin have been broken. Uh, There is a a definitive breach between you and sin so that you're no longer slaves to sin. You are overcomers. That's what Revelation uh, proclaims to you. That's what Paul proclaims here in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6 to uh, the Corinthian church. Now you are justified by faith. You're righteous in Christ. You're an heir of eternal life. God owns you and you're God's son and all things will be yours. And that's not a pipe dream. That's not pie in the sky. By and by, these words are faithful. And true, these words are trustworthy. They have been uttered from the throne of God by God and the Lamb. The Alpha and the Omega has spoken these words. You can rest your future on these words because he wrote them. He commanded John to write them. These are not John's words. These are God's words. He's been commanded to record them for the sake of the church in John's day and for the sake of the church for all ages. They come from the one who sits on the throne, the creator of all things, the consummator of all things, the beginning and the end of all things. And because... God loves us with an everlasting love. And because he knows that we are dust, he doesn't merely remind us here in the book of Revelation. In fact, he he tells us that these assurances are guaranteed that this, uh, the, 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 Promises that he uh, reveals to John here in this vision are promises that we can have now, that we can experience now, that we can be sure of now. Listen to me, you who wrestle with assurance of salvation. And the devil comes by and whispers, whispers to you, as he did to that seasoned minister, are these things really true? Has God really said? Can it really be 
possible that there is such a place as an eternal, a, a, a place of eternal glory and a place of eternal bliss, a place prepared for God's people. It's interesting that God said it to John, uh, that, that, that the very one to whom this vision is revealed uh, is the one who wrote these words in his first epistle, chapter 5. Listen to, to what John says, 1 John 5, verse 5. Who is the one who overcomes? Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is true. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony himself, in himself. The one who does not believe has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things, John says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Is there anything more certain than that? Anything of which we can say the triune God has testified to these things. The triune God puts his seal over these things. The triune God has guaranteed these things. He has warranted these things. It's not, the, not like the broken guarantees or warranties of this world. This is a divine guarantee. This is a divine warranty. And it can't be shaken by anything in this world, in this life. And that truth can give you comfort all the way through your Christian experience. And it can give you assurance you who wrestle with assurance of salvation. Some of the godliest people I've ever known. People that you would not expect wrestle with assurance of salvation. Have revealed to me as their pastor that I, I struggle with this. And some of them to their dying day. But if we will latch on, if we will take hold of these wondrous promises, we who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ 
can be certain of the eternal life that God has promised to his people. And that will sustain us, and that will comfort us throughout this life in all the way to that point where we walk through the shadow of death. We will hear the shepherd's voice, and he will lead us into green pastures all our lives long. And surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and into eternity itself. Amen. Amen. Our God and Father, what can we say to such a wondrous revelation? How can we respond? Where could we find words to give to you the thanks and the praise and the honor and the glory that is due your holy name? Look in our hearts, O oh God, as uh, they have welled up at uh, the, the revelation that you've given to John, as we have considered these things, if you, as you have pulled on our heartstrings throughout uh, the preaching uh, and the hearing of, of your word today, look into our hearts and accept our sacrifice to you. Accept our thanks, O oh Lord, though uh, we would be here all day long if we Uh, were to attempt to express the wonders of our salvation in Jesus Christ and the wonders of the things that you say that we will inherit, have inherited. We are heirs. We are sons. Continue to give us of the water of life. Continue to cause us to thirst for your word as the deer pants for the water brook. So, O Lord, make our souls pant after you in the means of grace, in your word, and in prayer to be with you, to commune with you, and sustain us in these promises, O Lord. Be with those who struggle with assurance, who are constantly questioning whether they are truly saved, whether uh, simply because uh, Satan has whispered in their ear and planted doubts or whether they struggle with sin and wonder how can God receive one such as me uh, as a son, an heir of all things. Uh, Do, O Lord, comfort us with uh, this truth of the reality of all things new and even our own bodies and souls renewed. Uh, First, uh, if you tarry, And we see you in heaven, our souls renewed in perfection. And then at the coming of Christ, when our bodies are made new as well. Dwell in our midst, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.